0: It's Britcompon, la da da da. It's Brit do 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 do. Hello. You're listening to part two of our look at Sean's show. And if you haven't listened to part one, then some of this won't make a lot of sense. So go back and check that out if you haven't already. We are looking at series one, episode four Greek holiday. And we've already talked a lot about Sean Hughes in general and his career leading up to this point. So make sure you don't miss that. For everyone else, uh, here it is. Enjoy. <laughs> about sean's uh relationship with his father this is like i said earlier this is pretty central to sean hughes's mm-hmm. personality frankly i think yeah and just how open he is about having a bad relationship with his father you know on in public in his material that his father might well see <laughs> mm-hmm. so when when we get into this episode tony who is now kind of living as sean yeah. and taking on his his life is on the radio talking about how he's healed is rift with his father, mm-hmm. and has also got Susan, and has basically the concept is Sean is watching someone else take his life and do every, everything much better.
1: Yes, fix all the problems that he's been uh, been living with.
0: And I thought, yes, we're gonna we're gonna go somewhere here. <laughs> this is sort of self exploration, soul searching yes. stuff. Yes. Okay, what am I doing wrong then? If someone else can take my circumstances and do things better, maybe it's not my dad's yes. fault. Maybe it's my fault. Wow. But no, no, yeah. what actually <laughs> happens is some Sicilian gangsters turn up <laughs> at the door yeah. and we move on yeah. with, the, with the... And when I say Sicilian... Yeah, they're
1: about as Sicilian as the Greek dancers.
0: Some suspiciously tanned gentlemen yeah. walking. Yeah. At the door. So it was, it was just stuff like that that was very frustrating because having done a bit of research into Sean Hughes and watched his material a bit more, I know there's something there. I know he's trying to get to something there. So why why not? Why not just follow through and... I guess the answer to that is probably because they were just throwing together a sitcom. They probably had about a month to write it and and get it done. And Mm. maybe it wasn't as uh, well thought out as, you know, you want it to be. You know, perhaps this is a good chance to talk about Nick Whitby. Okay, who's that? Nick Whitby was the writer on the first series. The, The writing credits are Sean Hughes and Nick Whitby. Mm -hmm. my immediate assumption there is okay you've got sean hughes you've got his stand-up material we've used a lot of that and he's probably got the an idea here yeah and so they've brought someone in who's probably a good safe pair of hands a dependable kind of you know really knows his structure to turn it into to to give it a bit of structure and make something of it yeah and they've just done the best they can however the second series is written by sean hughes alone right and i think the second series is a lot more linear in the sense of he sets up some plot points and then kind of just keeps them through. It's not episodic. He, he has kind of yeah. plot lines that go through, which, as, we've seen, as we saw with Time, Gentleman, Please, when Richard Herring was having a churn episodes out week by week, that's quite a good way to just give you something to hold on to and, and start and starting point. Rather than having to go, oh my god, new episode, I have to come up with a completely new idea. Mm-hmm. You've already got something, you've got the character set up, you can just yeah. kind of roll with it. It makes things a little bit easier, I think. And so maybe Sean Hughes is not an experienced sitcom writer is doing that, yeah. perhaps even subconsciously falling back on that. Perhaps Nick Whitby is the one who was trying to bring something slightly more meta and deconstructionalist mm-hmm. into this. And when I looked into his other credits, more of a theatre guy, frankly, writes plays. Yeah. But from what little I've saw, I have saw, I think he is trying to break things down a bit more. And I... Even with theatre compared to television, theatre is a lot more metaphorical. You're literally on a stage and you have to make the audience believe that this is going on. And there's a, there's a, there's a greater suspension of disbelief. Yeah. One of, it, one of the things that Nick Whitby is credited with is uh, a show called Cows, which was made in 97. Oh, it was kind of a right. pilot.
1: No, I do know Cows. Eddie Azad.
0: Yes, well, well, that was it. When I first read that; it was like, "Oh, it's Eddie Iazard's idea. He wrote it." Yeah. Oh, again, maybe they brought this guy in, safe pair of hands, to help structure it. Yeah. Because it is a kind of a weird, surreal, wacky idea it's, about it, cows. Yeah, it sounds
1: very Eddie Iazard, doesn't it?
0: Yes, and I watched it actually. It was crap. <laughs> <laughs> I watched I've
1: watched cows relatively recently in the last
0: year or two, and it, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, I mean the most notable stuff is that, uh, about it is the actors are in it. It's a real kind of '90s mm. vibe to the actors. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking maybe Nick Whitby is a bit more of a, of a deconstructionist here, and uh, he's the uh, he's the anarchist. I looked into I looked into him a little bit, and um, I found an interview with him, which was just a kind of a bit of a puff piece because he was promoting a play he was doing. And but it was one of those interviews that was just like they'd obviously just sent him a load of questions, and then he'd answered, yeah. it. and it was literally punctuated as here's a question, here's an answer. Mm. And even in that, he went totally meta with it, like so. Oh, so one of the questions was when I'm not in the theatre, I can be found. Question mark, right? Yeah. And his answer was yes, usually, but not necessarily always. Yeah. So, like, things like that. But, like, every single question he did not give a straight answer. It was like, and like, fair enough, it was actually quite clever and f- amusing in a kind of puff piece website uh, interview kind of way. So, mm-hmm. fine. But I think he's obviously of a mindset of like, well, I'm not just going to play by your rules. I'm going to break things up and make sure. you think in a different way. So I think Nick Whitby, whoever that is, <laughs> might, <laughs> might, might have had more of an influence on this than, than Sean Hughes. That's interesting. That's really interesting insight. Can I ask you, in your purview of cultural knowledge here, someone else who gets referenced a lot in this series, and I didn't know who they were, I had to look it up, was Elton Wellesby. Elton Wellesby. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: I do know who Elton Wellesby is. Well, he was basically the the anchor for ITV Sport, for ITV's football coverage. And yeah. he was he was perfectly fine, Elton Wellesby, nothing wrong with him. But he was just like, well, he's not him, is he? Well,
0: they, they keep referencing him in this, but not with any sort of specific kind of character intent. So I couldn't figure out what the joke was other than that, like, oh, look, we've referenced Elton Wellesby. Ugh. Well, yeah, it's just that slightly,
1: <laughs> you know, offbeat second division.
0: right? It, it, yeah. It's
1: the, the Smiths rather than Rick Astley. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes.
0: That's just a, a very classic 1992 reference, I guess. <laughs> there was, a, there was an episode. In fact,
1: I think it was the final episode of series two that I watched, where uh, one of the many subplots was the European Cup final was on just round the corner, and it was Crystal pa- Barcelona against Crystal Palace. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. that's ridiculous. Real Madrid against Crystal Palace. That's more realistic.
0: Well, that's that's all derives derives from Sean Hughes was a big Crystal Palace fan. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And he obviously, has
0: written this in to get. Chris Coleman and Gareth Southgate to come. And Chris tip. Coleman, Chris Armstrong, and Gareth
1: Southgate all appeared like three times in three separate occasions. Again, it's the same joke three times. They come in and ask him for some help. He kicks the ball and we see a goal. And um, <laughs> well, like, as I was, I was trying to get a, a screenshot of this. So because you know it's the England football manager Gareth Southgate on Sean's show, and I couldn't because they literally run in and run back out again. Yeah. And there's no, there's, I thought. I, I, I see in the credits that that's Gareth Southgate and Chris Coleman, but I really can't. <laughs> I, I, is it? <laughs> yeah. So he's got them in. And obviously, you know, this is 1993. So it's it's before Gareth Southgate missed that penalty. But, you yeah, know, these yeah. were proper players. They were premiership players. So, well,
0: Crystal Palace players. Still. Occasionally premiership players. <laughs> uh, Sean Hughes is a massive Crystal Palace fan. Was. And there's a, a there's another thing he did for the BBC just after this, actually. I think about 94 Called Sean's Shorts, right. just these ten-minute things of him just pottering about doing things. it was a very loose narrative to that as well. Wow. But interestingly, one of those is, and this is obviously all he'd written in the in the plot treatment. Sean trains at Crystal Palace Football Club with his, with the team, and that was it. Like they're just filming him like playing football with them. <laughs> like, <laughs> this, was, this was just wish fulfillment there. <laughs> Yeah. I'll tell you what I really liked about the Sean's shorts that I watched. This puts it in a time and place for you. First two minutes, they have guest appearances by The Wonder Stuff and Carter USM. Now, that's, <laughs> now you see, <laughs>
1: so, so this is what I mean about this being my time. Like I was a Britpop guy. You know, when Britpop happened, I was 1995, I was 1920. And, you know, I had a bit of money in my pocket and I went out and I got to, you know, I would buy all the CDs. So I was into Britpop. But as I'm older now and I look back on that period, I actually find myself listening to the stuff that came before. So, yeah, Wonderstuff, Kingmaker, Carter, those sorts of uh, shoegazy bands that I think we called yeah. them at the time. And, and you know, that is really my era. Definitely. <laughs>
0: So just before we give up on the episode altogether, um, <laughs> th- let's just deal with the end. Well, kind of the end where some Sicilians and some Greeks come in. Uh, some suspiciously tanned mustachioed men. Well, there is a big shootout and a fight, which I can only assume looked absolutely terrible because they've used every trick in the book to try and make it work. Slow it, motion, lots of close-ups, slow motion, sound <laughs> effects. <laughs> I looked up the actors who were playing them, and one of them is a stuntman. Like, so like three of them are actors, right. basically. One of them's a stuntman, so he must have been the one that fell over the side the cupboards. <laughs> like, yeah, he must yeah. be actually the one that did the action. Uh, It looks crap even with every effort they've made. But the joke is that Sean doesn't even notice it's happening because he's just discovered that the person he he thought he was in love with is actually a man. Uh, and he's gay now, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, but I thought this—I I wanted to mention this—the this sort of little gay subplot here because that felt very 1992 as well, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and that 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 feels very in keeping with this kind of attitude that I'm talking about, early 90s um, poet kind of idea. Yeah. The idea of struggling with the, not actually being gay or even bisexual, but struggling with your sexuality. Like that's, yeah. that's it's got to be a struggle. Everything's got to be a struggle. <laughs> for sure. But you know, like Mor- Morrissey's probably bisexual, right? So I should be, yeah? <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's the idea.
1: Being open, being open to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it actually comes across quite nicely for something that was made 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it actually gets away with it as not being too homophobic. But think, you know, this is
1: 1992. So this is 15 years after that episode of Rising Damp that we watched with Peter Bowles in it which yes. was very, you know, backs to the walls, lads, completely old-fashioned attitude. And, you mm. know, 15 years later, that was the change in society that being reflected.
0: Yeah, because basically what we get here is Sean going, oh, well, I'm gay. Okay, fair enough, I'm gay. But also going, oh, God, I'm gay. How am I going to tell my mother? You know, it's, yeah. it's like that kind yeah. of... that. Hey, I'm cool with it, but some people aren't, so yeah. it's going to be a thing, you know. Uh, but also that, that kind of sense of wanting to be gay or wanting to be bi or whatever, just because it makes you different yeah it's cool like it's cool yeah Yeah. which i think now it's not anymore it's a bit too normal
1: (laughs) no you're absolutely right you're we're probably hitting a, a time period here in the early 90s where exploring one's sexuality was cool
0: uh, and then everything just kind of ends. Tony dies at the end. Yeah. Um, so, uh, he comes back, so don't worry yeah, about don't it. don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, listeners. He's all right. <laughs> there is another actor who was a regular in, in the first series and then ended up mm. actually becoming one of the primary characters in the second series, but isn't in this episode. Just I think this is the only one. He's not in, just happened to pick this one. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, Michael Troughton. Michael Troughton, who is, you know, when he appeared on
1: screen, I shouted, oh, Pierce Letcher Dervish.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, in fact, the, one of the episodes in series two, it just sort of cuts to him and he's chatting with someone and goes, actually, I think people remember him more as Pierce Fletcher Dervish. So, uh, you know, this is just <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, silliness. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that's the sort of, you know, meta thing they were doing. But yeah, actually, not to give too many spoilers away, but we'll be dealing with Michael Triton <laughs> quite ha. soon in the future. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, let's uh, not in, talk too much about him. Yeah, and he'll be—he's a much more significant role uh, in, in what we were doing in the future. So I'm not going to go <laughs> into too much detail here. I guess, <laughs> but yes, uh, he was—he was still in the New Statesman at the time. This was—this went out the same year as the fourth series of New Statesman, I think, something like that. Right, yeah. Okay. So it was all kind of yeah. going at the same. A very different character. And in the first series specifically, he's—he's he's the barman of the local bar, mm-hmm. and he's supposed to be a bit of a kind of. London hard guy yeah. uh, works in a bar. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I buy that. <laughs> Definitely more convincing as a Piers Fletcher dervish. Well, it just, it just seems like Piers Fletcher dervish with sideburns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what do you think about my theme nights I'm having? Brilliant! What are
1: they?
0: Alienation night. One person at a time. Oi, bastard! Wait your turn! <laughs> I thought it'd be good for business. No, he's definitely doing something with it, but yeah, yeah. Let's leave him. Let's let's.
1: Yeah, we'll leave him for another time, Alan. We'll leave him for for next time.
0: It won't be long if you're a fan (laughs) of Michael Trout. don't worry.
1: Okay. Well, look, I think we've probably finished with our episode there. So this was in series one. Why don't you, you said earlier, you want to talk about the differences between series one and series two. Why don't you, why don't you talk about that?
0: Yeah. I, basically, like I said, we, we lost a writer. Nick Whitby didn't, mm. uh, wasn't involved in the second series. I don't know why. I don't know if there's any kind of reason specific behind that. Maybe Sean just felt like, ah, eh, I'll do it myself. Yeah. Yeah, The the second series is, if anything, less deconstructionalist. They still still have those moments where he's talking to the audience and, and things like that. Mm. But if anything, it's a bit more sitcom-y and has plot lines running through it, uh, mostly revolving around his love life. So he meets a woman in the second series, mm. and then they have a t- sort of a to-be-continued over to the third series because someone gets killed and they think that the, the police investigation is going on. Mm. So there's like these kind of continuing plot points. But they'll continue for two episodes and then drop off. Yeah. But then, you know, he meets another woman and so she's there for a couple of episodes and she wants a baby. So like, that's the plot line that's yeah. kind of going along. A little bit more linear and narrative and not even really much of an attempt to break down what sitcom is all about. Which is like while I say, I think that might have been hmm. Nick Whitby's influence more. So do you perceive that as an improvement? Do you prefer series two? No, no, because it's still not it's not any funnier. Okay. But it feels like he's not even trying anymore. <laughs> oh so, and it does feel like it's just repeating ideas. So in the second series, instead of having a sock that will never get dry, the, the kind of running thing is that he's, got, he's made scrambled egg and they've burnt onto the saucepan and he can't get them off. And So every mm. episode he's trying something new to get them off. Okay. Or, you know, God is calling him instead of Beckett. Um, yeah. Every time he answers the phone, he puts some jazz on uh and then holds the phone up so he goes oh sorry i'll just have to turn this jazz down yeah sorry what is it which i quite like that as a joke (laughs) he did it every time the phone interesting because he's like oh yeah i've started listening to jazz because that's you know that's what morrissey would do (laughs) (laughs) so i like that that was in keeping with with the character but yeah, I, I I don't feel like that, that it goes anywhere. It doesn't develop anywhere. And there's some weird musical uh, elements that are added in, which don't really get in the first series.
1: Yeah, the, I noticed, I watched the first episode of Series 2, and in, in the what's now the wine bar, which was the pub, there's Pulp. Pulp are on stage,
0: but, but yeah. we never
1: see them. We, they never Not play, we never talk to them. <laughs> They're just, it's literally Pulp in the background. There they are, and
0: nothing yeah. happens. The idea being that there's oh there's a band playing in the bar and it's yeah. pulp, <laughs> yeah. they weren't big enough to to be. Well, they probably assistant. still were, were still playing
1: pubs back then in '93. Yeah. But, but but the point stands. Like if you're going to get a band in, you're going to do something with them.
0: I wonder if they. I wonder if they filmed something and it was cut later. I don't know. Maybe, possibly, yeah. Because in in the last episode they get the cure in, uh, but yeah. they actually reference it and speak to speaks to. Um, well, he thinks Robert Smith is his mum. Okay, well, <laughs> so that's quite it. funny. <laughs> <laughs> Gagging it. Uh, they they do reference that one, but then in the second episode they do uh, a Greece uh, where he he meets this woman basically, yeah. and they're like, oh my god, I'm in love. And so they do the Summer Nights song from Greece. Mm. You know that one? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Summer lovin' had me a blast Summer lovin' happened so fast
0: Met a girl crazy for me
1: Met a boy cute as can be Summer days drifting away Oh, oh, a summer night
0: And and they have other obviously professional dancers come in and go. Tell me more, tell me more. Did you get very far? Like that whole bit. Yeah. So they do a whole production. And the woman who's playing the girlfriend, who's in it for a couple of episodes, I looked her up. She's basically a musical theatre person. Okay. So they obviously brought her in to do that. And they do the whole summer nights thing, big song and dance number. Yeah. And it's not a joke. It, they just do it there's a couple of like little visual gags it's not even like funny because sean's a bad singer because he's like he's not obviously not professional but he's not it's not funnily not bad yeah he, he's kind of keeping up with the dance routines the the actual dance maneuvers around it is perfectly valid
1: mm.
0: i i don't know what it
1: was it was like watching is that wish fulfillment then is that like jim fixed it for him to go on telly and do a grease number
0: yeah it was weird and I don't, I, I, I never really pegged Sean Hughes as like a... I wouldn't have had him as a Grease guy. Like, well, or even as a, oh, well, I want to sing. Like, Steve Coogan will, will sing any opportunity sure. he gets. Ricky Gervais, every, every, every show he makes is about a character who wants to be a singer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, uh, yeah I, I don't know um, where that came from. And it wasn't funny. And it just felt like, and there was quite a few things like that where it just felt like you we were filling time so yeah the second series was definitely a bit of a downhill and then they have one episode where the whole thing is kind of in flashbacks because they wake up in hospital and they're like oh what's happened let's let's and then you get like the same story from three different perspectives you know Mm -hmm. and again that feels like okay are they playing with the form there But but it didn't feel like that it just felt like well they've had the idea uh yeah it doesn't really go anywhere but a lot more actors being brought in in the second series, though. Well, Some very interesting people.
1: I was thinking about guest appearances, and this is something that yeah. we look at regularly. So, in that, that episode I mentioned, where Pulper in the background of the wine bar, we yes. also have an appearance from B. Arthur off yes. of the golden girls which yeah. i must confess i was i was taken aback with that i guess i'm guessing the golden girls was contemporary with the show it was probably it was probably sean's show was on in between series of the golden girls it was in the same <laughs> slot yeah. on channel four on a friday night yeah, probably that's a good joke no that that is good so the setup it is uh, because we're breaking the, the the conventions of sitcom it's the second series and we're going to try and get more ratings so he buys this ratings package and one of the things that comes with that ratings package is it says, have the Golden Girls round for dinner. And so he has these cardboard cutouts of the four Golden Girls. And, uh, and you know, he's talking to them. And he's pretending doing the voices and all that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, okay, that's a that's a mildly funny gag. That works. And, yeah. and then, you know, 20 minutes later, B. Arthur turns up in the
0: bar. <laughs> yeah, he takes the Biartha cardboard cutout to the pub to pretend he's got a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> B. Arthur walks in. like what's going on she does one line and walks off and that's it like she obviously was just i wonder why she was in london (laughs) she's probably yeah she's probably around She was gonna be do an interview on wogan or something and (laughs) just popped in yeah but it was nice it It was good it was good
1: what other what other guest appearances do we have on sean's show
0: well in the second series mira sayal turns up for a couple of episodes of a, a young as far as I'm concerned, like before, goodness gracious me, I don't know anything about Miracil. <laughs> so like anything before that, I was like oh shit. So yeah, she's a she's a love interest for a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's very good in it. We we mentioned Windsor Davis is in there with a tub of jelly in the back. Well, that's in the first. That's in the well, that's the first season. It's the very first episode, and so mm. they very deliberately brought him in as sitcom. He is sitcom, and we're trying to reject that. Yes. And great work from Windsor Davis to just happily embrace that.
1: He's proper Windsoring it up, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, doing the old do, whittling the eyebrows, the whole thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I, I quite like Windsor Davis in general. So, oh yeah, the fact that they're rejecting him is what doesn't work about this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, but a bit more of that would have been great in, in that first series. A bit more mm. stuff like that. Anita Dobson turns up in one episode where she plays the bartender's wife, but then she's not in anything else, and she's not really in much so she all. would have been yeah, she was at East End, she was Anita Dobson off of East then, wouldn't she? Yeah. But like in, in the episode one of them goes, Oh, I didn't know you were married to Anita Dobson <laughs> So it's like they kind of break the wall on that as well. Yeah, yeah. Both of them, Michael Triton and Anita Dobson, both appeared in Get Well Soon, of course, in nineteen ninety seven. Oh, Brian Cox turns up as a sort of hard priest
1: (laughs) you mean mean of course brian cox as in irish succession guy yeah yeah, not not as as in in oh in space brilliant
0: gravity brilliant (laughs) (laughs) no the the uh, hard brian cox (laughs) Uh, again it's, it's supposed to be this person from sean's childhood like the a religious leader from his childhood who was you know, when he was at the at the Catholic school. But mm. but then the character is a, a different person. And, and it, it, again, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, why, why are we exploring someone from your childhood if it, then it's not what they represent? We're not asking any questions. You've just got Brian Cox in to kind of play a, a priest with a leather jacket. <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> oh, Michael Sheen turned up in Michael one episode. Michael Sheen? He must have been a young man then. He was a—he's a very young man. But what's really fascinating about that is he, he turns up and he plays a mugger, uh-huh. and then actually quite some funny bits with them—with him kind of interacting with the mugger and like he hasn't got anything worth nicking and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, before I go, could I just get a, a, a quick shot? What? Well, just something for the grandchildren one day, you know. Okay. Have you put the timer on? I timer's on. You want me to look scared? Yeah. Uh, I look scared.
1: <laughs> <sighs> Cheers, thanks very much, No children. problem. So when will I get my car but You just throw that in the bin or something? No, no, I'll pop it in the post. Oh, cheers. And when should I call the police? A couple of days? No, just a couple of minutes. I'm swift as the wind.
0: a <laughs> <laughs> <That's> good <laughs> job, say. He's a very good thief. Very good. What really stands out is, like, Michael Sheen, you can tell he's just great act. Like, he's just got a great presence. Yeah. You're good, aren't you? He's, he's got, got a really good actor. Him. That's really interesting. Yeah. There's something that, about so. him, yeah. And maybe there's some sort of confirmation bias there because I know. Yes, perhaps. What onto, yeah. He stands out. That if just, you'd have seen it in yeah, 1993,
1: yeah. yeah. Can I ask you, before we sort of wrap up on Sean's show, one thing that I wanted to talk about was this idea of, it's basically an adapted stand-up show. Sean Hughes is not the first nor the last stand-up comedian to star in a sitcom. What about this idea of taking that stand-up show, that stand-up persona, and, and, and sort of force-feeding it into a sitcom mould? Uh, can you think of any other examples of that, that are either positive or negative examples?
0: Well, you know what? I was trying to think of stuff like this, and really there aren't many. A, an early example that, that jumped out to me as a potential comparison. Mm. Frankie Howard. Up Pompeii. Yes. yes. Because, yes. you know, that is a sitcom and there's a whole plot going on. But then he'll stop and he'll talk to, That's to a really the audience. good example. And he's talking to the audience as Frankie Howard. You know, I know he's mm. in character, but it's like, it's Lovely. his act. And, and admittedly, you know, Frankie Howard is a stand-up act. It's not quite the same as a Sean Hughes stand-up act because he is, it's written for him. You know, it's just an act. Mm. It's a persona as opposed to a stand-up. And certainly in our modern idea of a stand-up is someone who will get up and kind yeah. of, Bear their soul a little bit you know there's a there's a real sort of sense of personal attachment there yeah to the point where you know you get the likes of a joe pasquale that kind of feels cheap and, and knocked off now these mm. days because it's not personal because you're just a gag man but yeah so frankie howard as much as that was just a persona that is very much like how do we get this persona into a sitcom format yeah. because we can't really just get frankie howard into a sitcom because it doesn't work that way yeah because you've got to be frankie howard yeah.
1: What about Alan Partridge? I know that's a character, maybe not quite the same, but, you know, Alan Partridge's shows are,
0: particularly Knowing Me, Knowing You, that was a, you know, that was
1: basically an adapted stage show, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. I think Knowing Me, Knowing You is deconstructing chat shows. It's you not, know, it's, it's not a sitcom, is it? it it's...
1: The later Alan Partridge series yeah. were, but but I think Knowing Me, Knowing You specifically, it's, yeah, it's a deconstructed chat show. It's not a sitcom, I don't think.
0: Yeah, no, but it's, I mean, it's certainly uh, not a million miles away. Mm. You know, you've got a situation and you've got your regular character. But yeah, that is much more of a satire on that. It's parodying things. It, and it's perhaps parodying more than deconstructing them. You know, what Sean's yeah. show is smashing it all down and, and trying to create something out of the rubble. Mm. Knowing Me, Knowing You is... Is going, hey, look at all these things you recognize slightly off kilter. So yeah, I, that's not quite the same. But it is it is, a sh- it is an example of we've got this comedy character. What, what do we do with it? And I think yeah. there's a bit more of that. Like, I mean, Al Murray, pub landlord, uh, yeah, very much tangent sure. on plea was, okay, we have sure. this stand-up character. That's a stand-up act. But it's a character. It translates to, to that a bit more. The Young Ones is very much based on the characters these guys were doing mm-hmm. on stage. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, if I, I, I came up with a couple of thoughts on this. And there are series that are where you're kind of looking at a stand-up's life off, off stage. The Seinfeld type model. And, the, you know, the, the couple that I came up with there was Josh Whitcomb, his, his sitcom Josh and more recently Catherine Ryan in the Duchess which is very sort of autobiographical but in both of those cases we're not seeing their stand up persona we're seeing a stand up comedian off duty so then i thought yeah. well where do we actually see a persona and i think jack dean led balloon and i think that's probably i think they acknowledged that was very much based on on larry david but i think that's curbier that's enthusiasm. probably yeah So i think that's that's an example of that but I tell you what, I tell you the one that I came up with, which I think is closest to Sean's show, where the, where it's a a stage show adapted and and spun out for TV. The one I came up with was Mighty Boosh, and I think that's mm. I think that's got a similar genesis. It was a anarchic stage show which was then adapted and written longer, as it were. But mm. but I think I think the Boosh works, and it might be interesting to watch that again. But I I certainly have
0: good memories of the Boosh. Do you know what I am? I've been putting off watching the Boosh again because i'm terrified that it's gonna not stand up at all yeah. i remember enjoying it a lot that was at least 10 years ago you know like that yeah was... well it's same and having just watched
1: you know something that i loved 30 years ago and really really not enjoyed it i you know, i'm a bit nervous about that but i i think mm. for, for me that's the best example i could come up with of that spun out
0: stand-up show being successful as a sitcom yeah, but even The Mighty Boosh, you know, it's not people standing up and they go, oh, well, here's some anecdotes about my life. You know, they're characters. Sure. It's a lot easier to translate that into some sort of fictional world. Yeah. Like I, I said earlier, there was obviously a bit of a push for this around this time because Frank Skinner won the Perrier Award and Channel 4 obviously went to him and said, do you want to do a sitcom? Have you got any ideas? Mm-hmm. And he, in, in, he wrote and starred in Blue Heaven. Yes. Uh, which, again, is something I haven't watched for years. I'll have to watch that again at some point. It didn't get a second series like Shane, but so. <laughs> it obviously wasn't as good as that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I was looking into, you know, stand-ups transferring to sitcom because, you know, in America, the whole point of being a stand-up is to try and get mm. a gig on a sitcom. Like that's that's, the that's how path, the industry works. Yes. But I think in Britain, stand-up is a bit more of an industry on its own thing. And especially, yeah, yeah. like I say, in the last 20 years, it's been embraced a little bit more and you can get on telly and stuff doing stand-up. Yeah, I don't so think you can... in
1: 1992 that was the case. There wasn't that... No. You couldn't make a living for the rest of your life doing stand-up comedy in 1992. Oh, well, you, you could, do not a good one. You'd be working the sure. clubs. Yeah, you know. yeah, exactly. As an old-fashioned turn rather than an alternative comedian. And so the route still was get on telly. Now, in the 80s, we saw Saturday Night Live and we saw stand-up shows being created. But but essentially, even if you know you look at The Young Ones and Bottom, all of those alternative comedians also made sitcoms. That was the route in.
0: Yeah, and I I think we've never quite lost that. There's always been this idea of well, if you can write comedy and you're funny, then why not write a sitcom? Mm. It doesn't necessarily translate, but often it can. Like so some I was I thought of some examples of stand ups who have kind of transferred to sitcom in some way or another. Um Dylan Moran, Black Books. Mm, yeah. Which also has Bill Bailey in it, who was primarily stand-up, sure. a stand up but has done fair bit of acting. But Dylan Moran like wrote all that as well.
1: Yeah. Are we just are we just airbrushing Graham Linhan
0: out of that? <laughs> oh, we don't it. talk about graham <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah graham linden as well but obviously um well interestingly father ted mm-hmm. you know your two main stars there dermot morgan Ardell, yeah, and they were, were both stand-ups yeah. yeah but this that was not written for them they auditioned and got mm-hmm. a part mm-hmm. I and mean, they just happened to be primarily stand-ups i mean dermot morgan basically never did any other acting you know it was mm-hmm. a stand-up um i thought of a couple of other examples um Baddiel syndrome yeah, uh, and we talked about that when we were talking about Sky One sure. sitcoms. Um, yeah, yeah uh, that was very much like David Baddiel will build something around your kind of persona. Okay, <laughs> right. that's interesting because I think I said when
1: we talked about it, I never, I never saw that. But yeah. I, I just assume it's David Baddiel being David Badil.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's not, yeah. Again, not I, I'm a fan of David Baddiel, but an ability. actor, he is not. <laughs> uh, what about Peter Kay? Right, because I think Peter mm. Kay. Peter Kay was one of the people who ushered in. The revival of stand-up comedy mm. on television because Peter yeah. Kay, everyone suddenly went, "Oh, hang on! No, your mum wants to watch stand-up as well." Oh, yeah. Okay, it's not just a, it's not just for young people who are drinking in pubs.
1: Live at the Apollo, Michael McIntyre. All of that flows from Peter Kay. I think you've got something there. Yes,
0: but Peter Kay quite quickly transitioned that into character comedy. Yes and he does not do sitcoms where he's like hey i'm Pete. okay yeah, i'll do this yeah he does sitcoms where he's play he creates characters and he plays mm-hmm. characters he did a whole anthology series where he mm-hmm. could try lots of different ones out and one of them became a series so that was obviously something he wanted to do but again i think he's something of an exception um another one i thought of was uh, not going out yes which is yeah. written by lee mack and and it's I mean, the style of that material, it's Lee Mack, it's Tim Vine. It's it's that yeah. one-liner, one-liner, one-liner. But they do manage to string it together in a way that actually works as a sitcom, which if you'd asked me before I'd seen it, I'd say I, I bet that doesn't work very well. Mom, I, I'm not very good with the modern stuff, uh, anything in the last 20 yeah. years. But another one that I was thinking of was Miranda. Yeah. Which is, again, very much based on her stage persona, which is a sort of slightly exaggerated version of of, yeah. of you know what Miranda Hart is in real life, as I understand mm. it. Again, she talks directly to the audience. Yeah, I think that's a
1: good comparison actually. But I've watched a couple of episodes of Miranda recently, actually, and I got to tell you it's a lot better than Sean's show. It's a lot it's a lot more coherent. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really interesting discussion. And I suppose you can, you know, you can play around with those definitions about sitcoms built around a stand-up persona. If any of our listeners have got any suggestions or things we might have missed there or any thoughts, that's an, I think that's a really interesting discussion. So would be happy to continue that on social media afterwards.
0: Mm. So, yeah, just to, just to get back to Sean's show a, a little bit, I wanted to talk to you about the director of uh, mm. both series called Sylvie Bowden. Oh, yes. Looking at her career, one of her earliest credits is as a production manager. You know, got, you sort of work your way up. Uh, yeah. And one of her earliest credits is in 1985 for The New Statesman. And she was also a production manager on Alexis Hale's Stuff. Ah,
1: that's something that we've, uh, we've come across many times.
0: Yeah. And what about this? I think you're going to like Sylvia Bowden in general. Her earliest directing credits in the late 80s are on episodes of Blankety Blank oh marvellous excellent <laughs> which know, is a big favorite of yours <laughs> but sean's show seems to be the first time that she was given a series of like hey look this is your thing go and go and do mm-hmm. something with it which yeah. i think is probably quite telling of what they were doing with it i guess it's channel four it's going at half out at half 10 on a wednesday night you know it's i don't think they were exactly throwing their eggs into the bass into one mm-hmm. basket here you know this mm-hmm. was a a small scale thing hey let's give it to a young uh, young director sort of yeah. a, up and coming Followed that straight up with series three of So Haunt Me, Oy. which feels much more, which feels much more like okay, we need to do basic standard sitcom stuff here. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but did quite a lot of sitcom. Did um, Faith in the Future? Julia okay, Sawalo's yeah. in yeah. that. Um, Keeping Mum where, with David Haig, Stephanie Cole. Oh yes, we talked about that. Yeah. Yes, uh, and uh, Duck Patrol. Duck Patrol. <laughs> Do you remember Duck Patrol?
1: No, I don't. What's Duck Patrol?
0: Duck Patrol has a young David Tennant in it, as well, kind of most people remember it. Okay. But it's about, like, I don't know, like their park keepers or something. It's very it light. It sounds like a kids' program. <laughs> to light touch thing. <laughs> well, Richard Wilson's in it, and Samantha Beckinsale's a regular. Oh, in wow. It as well. Okay, right. We've got so many works, ...many... Uh... many uh... But yeah, Sylvie Bowden ended up working on The Bill and then ended up becoming the producer of The Bill, moved from director to producer, okay. and and was the producer, as far as I understand, until The Bill finished. Mm-hmm. And, and doesn't seem to have done that much since then. That was like 10 years ago. So Yeah, Did, she
1: didn't produce The Bill into the ground then.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> um, <laughs> she was there when it set a fire, yeah. put it that way. So I, I just wanted to mention Sylvie Bowden. I thought that was quite an interesting CV. Uh, and, and Sean's shows were where she started, really, as a director in, in terms of sitcom. Well, shall we shall we wrap up
1: Sean's show then I think of all the of all the sitcoms that we have watched so far for this series, this was the one which had the greatest gap between my <laughs> expectations slash memory and the crushing reality of it. yeah, I was really disappointed if I'm honest, I was really disappointed with it. <laughs> Let's try and be nice. It's, it's an interesting cultural artefact. It tells us a lot about the time. It tells us a lot about the state of British comedy at the time. I know, I know Sean Hughes is Irish, but you know, I'm talking about as a culture. I think, despite what we said at the start of this podcast, I, I think, in my opinion, it's not a sitcom. It doesn't work as a sitcom. I, I, it really struggled without without following that format. I think it's an extended stand-up routine, and that's why it's repetitive. Mm. Being repetitive in and of itself is not a bad thing. Fast show, you could say that's just uh, that's mm-hmm. just the same gag over and over again. That works. I'm not really sure why Sean's show doesn't work in quite the same way. I think it's probably unfair to judge this as a sitcom, because I don't think it is a sitcom. But this is the British Sitcom History Podcast, and so you know if we are judging it on those terms, then I'm afraid I don't recommend it. I, I, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs>
0: Well, I think this is where we differ. I think it, it mm. does qualify as a sitcom and it's not very good at it as <laughs> opposed to not. I think it's trying to be a sitcom. Uh, with I think it's trying elements. to be a sitcom. I just don't think it's succeeding. <laughs> See, for me, the problem with it is, is that it, it's not funny enough. And uh, like, let me be clear. I I, I didn't dislike it. You seem to really hate it. Yeah. But I, I found it watchable and uh, there's some nice moments. There's some funny moments. I just don't think it's particularly good as a whole overall thing. Yeah. More than that, I was frustrated because it's obviously leaning towards doing something. It, it wants to be it wants to be meta uh, instead yeah. of just wacky, but it never gets there. And there's no follow through on anything. Mm. And, and 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 that comes down to the comedy as well. There's not even any like follow through on on gags or, or or even like you don't have to be you don't have to be clever, but at least be funny. And it's kind of not either. Yeah. but it's it's just funny enough to kind of be okay and it's charming and like I say there's there's something about Sean Hughes that I just really like that which which I think his career is based on frankly yeah. like that he's just quite <laughs> he's he's got a kind of an energy on stage that yes. makes yeah. you sort of warm to him despite uh, you know despite his misanthropic ways. I like it's so stuck in its time. I like those kind of early 90s references and stuff like that. It's, yeah. I, I find that kind of all very um, kitsch, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but that, that only works in retrospect. Like, obviously, that wouldn't really have played if I'd watched it at the time. I think the, the point about retrospection
1: is that one has to acknowledge, I have to acknowledge, that I've changed. Mm. So when I was 17, I loved this. I don't think it's suddenly become rubbish over 30 years. I think I've changed my perception, my tastes have changed. So I liked the idea that it was anarchic. I liked the idea that it was, it was throwing the the, the, the sitcom form out the window. And I liked the idea, I liked the idea of Sean Hughes being sort of romantic and interesting and challenging you to understand the references. And now I'm 46 <laughs> and, you know, as we've watched all these sitcoms over the last couple of years, the last couple of series, my tastes are mainstream. Mm. I like Steptoe and Son. I like Rising Damp. I like Dear John. <laughs> these are mainstream, safe sitcoms that are great. And I think that I've changed, you know, and I have to accept that. That's, and yeah. and now this sort of anarchic <laughs> thing that I loved when I was 17 just
0: just gives me a headache. And so by Gareth's request, next week we're doing Last of the Summer Wine. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to sign off, let's sign off with Sean Hughes as well. We talked about what he did to get to this point, but he never did another sitcom, mm. really. Certainly not where he was a star. And in many ways, his star faded. You know, he, was, he, he burned bright very young. He got on Nevermind the Buzzcocks, which during that, at that time, that was a great bread and butter thing to have as a stand up because, you know, comedians would go on that show or go on, they think it's all over or have I got news for you, that sort of thing. Like, oh, great, 80 quid, yeah, fine. But to be on it every week is, uh, you know. Was...
1: I think there's something to be. I, I don't want to get too analytical about this, but if you think about those early years of Buzzcocks, so there was him and Phil Jupitus and Mark Lamar. And one of the things that was appealing about that, it was nasty, it was cruel. You know, it, it had people on there that it would really denigrate. Well, Mark Lamar has that. Mark Lamar has style, that, but I he? think I think Sean Hughes has that as well. I think Sean Hughes had that in him.
0: I think he did, but Sean Hughes had that thing where he could do it with a bit of a cheeky wink. And with a twinkle he, in his it eye. It was all right, yeah. yeah. But I think that's why it worked. And I think his, his style of humour, sort of a, quite a gentle humour, <laughs> works mm. on that. It's, he's not really a gag man. When I'm watching his stand-up, it's not particularly funny. But it's a nice presence. It's amusing, yeah. and I think it works on on something like that. It, he left that show. They didn't leave him. You know, he yeah. he decided to have enough of that. And I, I definitely got the feeling with Sean Hughes that he didn't like fame uh, mm. by any means. He didn't really like people. So, so doing anything where people would come up to him and say hello was was no good. And I think he yeah. stepped away from it at one point. And he he stopped doing stand up for a long time. Mm. Uh, went back to that. 2007 I think it was something like that a bit later it was after his dad had died yeah. uh, and um, he kind of managed that inspired him enough to do a show and I, mm. I I I think I was listening to something where it was it was almost a sense of um, ironic justice that the death of his dad and his relationship with his dad inspired this show because it's the last thing his dad would have wanted to inspire <laughs> him and help him <laughs> with his career <laughs> so like yeah. that there's <laughs> quite a lot of venom in him still yeah and, and, and just in terms of acting, not a sitcom exactly, but certainly very light-hearted in tone. The Last Detective, did you ever see that? Peter Davison. Ah, no, no, I didn't see it, but I, I know what you mean. I'm familiar with it, yes. So it's Peter Davison as a, as a detective. It's based on a series of novels. And and Sean Hughes was the mate, you know, like the kind of, and, and very much a, a comedic element. Like the whole show is very kind of a light touch comedy. Was, it, was he on Coronation girl? Street for a little while? Yeah, very briefly, playing a love interest of someone. Oh, okay, so it wasn't a long term thing. No, it was like a yeah, a handful of episodes, sort of stint, okay. bit of slightly stunt casting, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But so he he done a bit of acting, you know, like what you would call proper acting. Mm-hmm. But even then, you know, very much with a comedic feel. Sure, many years. Wrote a couple of novels. Mm-hmm. Um, po- wrote, wrote a book of poetry, you know that sort of thing. So awesome. you know, class, classic sort of stuff that you want from a Sean Hughes. But... <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you know, he was a, it was a heavy drinker and smoker and all that sort of thing, and it, it took a toll on his health and uh, died age fifty one. You know, it's not, mm. um, not much, mm. uh, not much to speak of there, is there? That's Sean's show. A curiosity from the past. Yeah. Like I'm
1: really, I'm really glad we covered this. And as I said, you know, obviously I was a little disappointed with it, but, but I, I think it's well cultural artifact is the phrase that i used and i think it's really it's a really interesting thing i would definitely if anyone's if anyone's listening and hasn't seen it despite everything i've just spent the last hour saying i would i would go and have a look at it it's interesting i probably wouldn't watch all 14 episodes back to back but um but you know (laughs) go and go and check episode it'll be all right
0: (laughs) yeah yeah Thank you very much for listening. This has been British Sitcom History Podcast, and we have been looking at Sean's show. And if you want to hear more from us, then go and check out our back catalogue. This is actually the 13th sitcom we've looked at in detail, and we have extra content looking at more obscure sitcoms, just like this one. Go and check that out wherever you get your podcasts, or you could even try YouTube, British Sitcom History. That's our YouTube channel, and we have video versions of all our audio productions there as well. If you enjoy this show, then do please rate and review us on iTunes. That'll help us out. And, of course, get in touch. We are on Instagram and Twitter, at BritComPod. That's at BritComPod. Go and check us out. Send us your comments and your sitcom opinions. We have lots of interesting discussions there. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you will be back next time where we take on a true classic. Bye-bye.